Hi, friends. Welcome to episode six of Sorted SF, the podcast about forgotten SF history, crime, and other unsavory happenings. I'm your host, Monica, and I'm back taking a break from being sad. And we're back. I, you know, it's been, it's almost been like two months, I think, since I put out an episode. Just really in my feelings, really sad, really like not doing great. And with the help of my therapist, we're, we're crawling out of that spiral. We're crawling out of the hole. We're, we're doing okay. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Thanks for everyone like checking in on me, asking, you know, where's, when's your next episode and stuff like that. It means a lot. And I appreciate you listening. Uh, it, it means a lot, a lot, a lot. And I'm thankful to have you all in my life and I love you. Um, so a few weeks ago, and to be clear, I've recorded this episode like four times. I just haven't had the motivation to edit it and post it. Um, like I'd record it, episode would be totally fine. I just wouldn't fucking upload it because I was being depressed and feeling sorry for myself. Um, but we're not doing that anymore. We're being consistent with what we want and consistent and what we do because consistency is the key to happiness or something. I don't know. Ask your therapist. Uh, so here's, you know, like recording number five of this episode. Um, it's about McLaren park. So buckle in a few weeks ago, my dad and I went to the soapbox derby (laughs) a few weeks ago. This is like months ago now. Uh, we went to the soapbox derby at McLaren park, which was put on by SF MoMA. It was the first derby they put on in like 44 years, and it was a lot of fun. It was like a sweet thing to do with my dad. Um, I hope they do it again next year, and I'd love to figure out how to support a team. They had like, you know, the teams, so one was like called Girl Garage or something out of Oakland. It's all these like teenage girls who like want to be mechanics and shit like that. It was super cool. They were all very badass, but like I'd love to figure out how to you know, donate to their derby team. So this time next year or 10 months from now, because again, it's been months since the derby. um, We'll figure out how to support a team or something. I'll include some photos from the derby of the derby cars on Instagram. I'd never actually been to McLaren Park before, but my dad kept talking about how it's a great dumping ground for dead bodies. To orient you, McLaren Park is like right between Excelsior, Southern Hills, and Visitation Valley. Um, Before today, or before this, going to McLaren Park, like I'd have a, I have a general idea where those neighborhoods are, but like, I, I don't know if I could get there without like a map, you know, or like plugging an address into Google. They're just like so foreign to me. So if the names Excelsior, Southern Hills, and Visitation Valley don't mean much to you, that's okay. Um, But McLaren Park also connects to Crocker Amazon, and you can see the Cow Palace from it. If Candlestick were still around, you'd be able to see that. Balboa High School is pretty close to it, and I actually learned that my dad went to Bow for his sophomore year of high school. So I'm going to try and find a yearbook photo. But I've asked my dad for yearbook photos, and he's conveniently missed every single picture day. Um, so I don't know, maybe he just didn't go to school and he's lying. Um, in high school, we'd have soccer practice at Crocker. 
And when he'd pick me up, we'd drive around and look at like the old houses he used to live in. Um, and even driving around this time when we were going to the Derby, um, he was telling me about how he and his friends would walk up like certain streets that we were driving on. And he'd be like, we walked up these hills. And he was so shocked at how fit and capable he used to be. Uh, he also pointed out the house that Patty Hearst was arrested in. But I think, you know, obviously when someone mentions murderous dumping grounds, my ears are going to perk up. So today we're going to be talking about the bodies, some of the bodies found at John McLaren Park. I do want to really preface this by saying that the park is really beautiful. And during the day with all the people around, it felt super safe. People were using the tennis courts. Kids were in the playground. People were walking their dogs. The poppies were in bloom. Um, it was really pretty, you know, like the, a lot of it's undeveloped, but it's like undeveloped with like native grasses and plants and stuff. So it's like maybe not all of it's great for picnicking. It's not like a GGP lawn or anything, but it is beautiful. It's like rolling hills and I don't know, nice chunk of land. Um, I think Parks and Rec has really been doing their best to create a safe environment for families, especially as the neighborhood surround it gentrify um but my dad still thinks there's a long way to go before full gentrification hits um i you know i'm always looking at like real estate and stuff and all the homes over there are still like over a mill or like really really scary ones for like 700 um yeah but i don't know it was a nice park check it out or don't, I don't care. Uh, so let's get started. My sources for this episode include Forever Loved Wikipedia, SF Weekly, SFist, SFBayCA.com. Uh, and yeah, let's go. All right, so let's start with some more backstory on the park. As I mentioned before, John McLaren Park is like the most southeastern corner of the city, sandwiched between a handful of neighborhoods, including the Excelsior, Visitation Valley, Southern Hills, Sunnydale, and Portola. It is 312 acres, making it the third largest park in the city after Golden Gate Park and the Presidio. The park itself has like a pretty expansive history, um, but like that's not why we're here today. Maybe I'll profile the park on Instagram or some shit. I don't know. It's a cool story, but we're here for the murder. The park gained its reputation as a dumping ground for bodies in the 80s, which makes sense. I think we like romanticize the 80s a bit because, I mean, I wasn't alive then, so everything just seems like austere and cute. Uh, but the 80s was so crimey. So first murder we're going to cover. In 1983, Nicholas Crumbly, a man visiting from a city in Texas, visiting the city from Texas, <laughs> was found dead at the intersection of John Shelley Drive and Mansell with his pants and underwear pulled down past his knees. He had been robbed, sexually assaulted, and strangled. The case was completely cold until in 2012, DNA found on Crumley's body was able to be matched to a man called William Payne, who was still residing in San Francisco. So Payne was arrested in 2012 after his DNA showed up. Prosecutors argued that Payne, who was at the time 19, strangled 41-year-old Crumbly during a little tryst in Crumbly's car, the lover's quarrel. Uh, Payne actually took to the stand, uh, which, I mean, 
anyone who knows anything knows that there's two things you do when you're arrested. And first is like, get a lawyer and shut up. And the second is you never fucking testify in your own trial. You never go on the stand. Um, and it's kind of funny. Um, because if I didn't know better, I would, you know, if I haven't, hadn't listened to like a million and a half true crime, like podcasts and watched a million true crime movies, I would like, no, it makes sense. Like I want to talk to the cops. Like I want to let them know that I had nothing to do with this and I want to get on the trial. I want to tell my side of the story, but (laughs) every like commentary when people get on the stand or like talk to cops is always just like, they're such a narcissist. They think they can outsmart everyone. They think they're smarter. Um, so they went on the stand or whatever. And so <laughs> maybe I'm a narcissist. It would explain some things. Um, Cause it, it like makes sense. I mean, if you didn't do it, why would you not talk? Like, why wouldn't you just immediately start talking to the cops, spill your soul? But like so many people are wrongfully convicted because of something they said that is misconstrued. Um, Yeah, don't do it. Okay, that's my law advice. I'm obviously qualified to give that. Um, So he was arrested. Trist in the car. He took the stand and admitted to having sex with Crumbly a single time after the two met in a gay bookstore, which is cute. I don't know what makes it a gay bookstore. Um, like, is it, I, what's a gay bookstore? Um, if anyone knows, let me, hit me up. Payne testified that he'd heard about Crumbly's death at a bar, like several days later, like people were talking. He was like, oh shit, like I banged that guy. Uh, but he didn't reveal the interaction to the authorities because he was afraid that his religious family would learn about him being bisexual. And then, of course, the irony here is that his bisexuality hit national news and is forever online. And here we are talking about it. Uh, forensic testing of Crumbly's underwear, all right, graphic, I guess, TMI, revealed the presence of sperm cells from two unknown men. Rectal swabs revealed sperm cells from Payne and at least one other unknown man. Prosecutors argued that Payne was the last person to have sex with Crumbly and therefore must have been the one to kill him. But sperm can live in the body for three days. So who really knows? And also, fun fact, sperm can live in the body for three days. So, hmm. Uh, PSA. Payne was actually arrested a year after this murder. So again, he wasn't arrested for Crumbly's murder until 2012. But a year after the murder, in 84, he was arrested for a separate incident he for assaulting a woman. And she stated that he admitted to robbing and murdering a man in McLaren Park. So she testified against him in court. Like what I'm kind of picturing with that is, you know, he like pulled a knife on her, robbed her and was like, don't say anything. I've killed a man. Blah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm picturing. Payne eventually ended up pleading guilty to voluntary manslaughter. And it was said he was likely to receive a five year prison sentence. And with credit for time served. <sighs> Excuse me. With credit for time served would likely be released after 16 months. 
Uh, I wasn't able to find out what the actual sentence ended up being. So I don't know. But can you imagine pleading guilty? Like you are admitting guilt to voluntary manslaughter and then only getting a five-year sentence with credit for time serve. So you'd be out of jail for manslaughter after 16 months. Which like I guess manslaughter, manslaughter is the one where you like, I didn't mean to, it's an accident, right? Uh, the crime of killing a human without malice. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I killed him, but I didn't mean to. Wow. Just five years, basically almost suspended. Wow. Okay. Good to, good to know. Um, but again, I don't know what the actual sentence ended up being, which is annoying that I couldn't find that anywhere. Um, but he's definitely out of jail. <laughs> so this murder kind of kicked off the whole scene. It's kind of a trip because there are countless articles about how McLaren Park is a dumping ground for bodies. Like it uses that phrasing, dumping ground for bodies. But there aren't many articles about the victims of, or yeah, there aren't many articles about victims or the specific crimes that have taken place. And so I think the reality might be that they were for the most part, like maybe isolated gang related incidents so that the victims never got like the fanfare they deserved. Of course, I'm speculating, but if you're going to call someplace a dumping ground and then only give me three examples of murders over a 35 year span, like that doesn't really add up. So I'm assuming that like there were a lot of bodies found, but it was, you know, like this is gang related crime. Don't worry about it, general public or like drug dealers shot each other or something like that. I don't know. Um, another heavy hitter happened much more recently. And this is the story of Nicole Fitz and her two-year-old daughter, Ariana Fitz. Um, on the morning of April 8th, 2016, Nicole's body was discovered by Parks and Rec Gardner in the early morning under a plank of wood in a shallow grave. But it like, it, it goes so much deeper. Okay. So Nicole had been reported, she'd been last seen on April 1st but no one had seen her daughter since February. So when her body was found on April 5th, it was like, okay, <laughs> found Nicole. Where the fuck's Ariana, her two-year-old daughter? The cops ended up offering a $100,000 reward for information that could lead to the arrest of, the murder, of a murder suspect and or finding Ariana. And like I said, the whole thing like runs so much deeper. And I feel like normally it'd be maybe an open and shut case of like, all right, um, rejected ex baby daddy, um, kills baby mama, you know, cause he's unhinged and she's not letting him, her, him see the kid or some shit like that. But no, this is so weird. So much weirder. Um, so Nicole Fitz was a 32 year old single mother with two children and she lived in SF. She struggled financially, ended up in a homeless shelter in order to like keep a roof over her and her kids' heads. She decided to send her, the older daughter to live with the girl's dad uh, since two kids in a homeless shelter is no joke. So the older daughter, I think, went to like San Diego. Um, while Nicole was in the homeless shelter, she met a street pastor named Lamisani Briggs and the two women struck up a friendship. But, you know, street pastors, those are never who you want to get involved with. They're like witches, but like not the cool kind, you know. 
Uh, so the two women became friends and eventually Le Masani invited Nicole and Ariana to live in her home with her. Nicole agreed and, you know, paid rent as well as like a little money as like a babysitting fee. So like when Nicole would go to work, Le Masani would watch the baby. Uh, within a few months, Le Masani's niece, Silo, took over babysitting. And I'm not sure if I'm saying that name right. It's S-I-O-L-O, Silo, Silo. Regardless, Silo Silo took over babysitting Ariana while Nicole was at work. Um, but of course, as with everything that seems too good to be true, tensions were high between Lemisani and Nicole. Lemisani was like super abusive to Nicole, would like read her journal, no sense of boundaries, no personal space, was always like, where are you going? Who are you going to see? Like, like a shitty mom. Um, she'd send her abusive text messages and wouldn't even give Nicole a key to the house. Like she had to be let in. So she'd come home from work and be like, God, I hope I get let into my fucking house so I can get my kid and go to sleep. Um, and Lamasani kept raising rent to like just exorbitant, like asking for like basically all the money in paychecks that Nicole was making like just to pay rent for like a bedroom in her shitty house. Um, so eventually Nicole's sister convinced her to leave Le Masani's place and move in with them in Santa Cruz. And then the problem with that, of course, is that Nicole's job was at the Best Buy in San Francisco. So she had to figure out how to commute every day to work without a fucking car. Uh, Nicole was a badass though and always figured it out. She always got to work. She continued to let Le Masani's niece, CeeLo, watch Ariana, which I don't love um, and then when CeeLo couldn't watch Ariana, Lamasani's other niece, Helena, and her husband, Devin, would take care of Ariana, which I, l like, really don't like. Uh, hate, actually. But desperate times. And, you know, like, mom needed to, she needed to get fucking childcare. So she had to do what she had to do. So no judgment. Um, that's actually, that reminds me of this podcast. It's called No One's Coming to Save Us. And it's about childcare in America and how no one's coming to save us. Like there's no light at the end of the tunnel in terms of getting childcare for women. Um, and it was like a whole thing of like in, I don't know if it was the seventies, but like we were very close to getting universal childcare. And then I don't know if it was Nixon or Reagan. One of those guys like was president I think Reagan was president and Nixon called him and was like, hey, no, we need to put the onus on the moms because we don't want the government to be in charge of childcare. And so Reagan like didn't sign the bill or whatever that would have given free childcare to everyone in America. Um, so thanks. Um, but it's a great podcast about childcare and just like the effect it has on you know, we're like, we're almost creating our own brain drain in a sense. Um, Elizabeth Warren is a guest on the podcast and she talks about her own experience as like a single mom in school, like getting her fucking law degree. And she thankfully found childcare that was like semi-affordable near where she went to school. But, you know, so many other people couldn't and haven't. And so like the, the picture, the greater picture is how many Elizabeth Warrens, how many amazing, intelligent women are we losing from contributing in major ways to 
our country just because they can't find affordable childcare and have to choose between going to school versus taking care of their kid. Like they can't, and they can't do both. And it's just like such a cruel thing. And just, we're not doing ourselves any favors. We're just losing talented people and it sucks. Um, and then, you know, that can go into the bigger issue of freaking Roe v. Wade trying to be taken. Do you see they're like straight up making birth control illegal? They're trying to make birth control illegal in some states. That's so fucking insane. Like what a non, what a non issue. It's like gay marriage. Like, why are we still fucking talking about this? Like we have bigger fucking fish to fry. Um, yeah, I know, but that's a different podcast. Anyway, Nicole had to find childcare. She found it where she could. No judgment. Um, in mid-February 2016, so like two months before Nicole's body was found, Nicole's coworker offered her and Ariana a place to stay, which was closer to Best Buy, so she wouldn't have to commute. She could like carpool with a coworker, like shit was gonna be good. Nicole was obviously stoked, ready to move forward, but CeeLo and Helena, the fucking babysitters, wouldn't give Nicole Ariana back. Nicole hadn't, she spent six weeks trying to convince the two of them to be able to see her daughter. Like, they just kept up and be like, nope, you can't see her. Nope. Um, which is super weird to me because um, if someone has my child and they don't give it back to me the minute I ask for my child back, uh, I would absolutely go to the cops right then and there and also, like, I don't know, maybe find a gun. No, just kidding. Um, a knife. Uh, but yeah, that I mean, that's how oh, you wait six weeks. That's insane. What were you, what were you doing, Nicole? That's nuts. Um, so yeah, it took six weeks, and finally, after six weeks, um, she got the police involved. Uh, Nicole's roommate said, and like the police, I guess, like demanded that, like, hey, this is the cops. You got to give her kid back. And so the uh, the nieces of Le Masani were like, okay. Nicole's roommate said that Nicole left for work on April first, twenty sixteen, with plans to get Ariana back at the end of her at the end of the day after the shift. So Nicole was last seen leaving Best Buy in, in San Francisco. Later in the day, Nicole's family received a text message from her stating she had plans to drive a friend named Sam to Fresno. Her family was sketched out because one, Nicole doesn't have a car, so how the fuck would she be driving? Two, Nicole doesn't have any friends named Sam. The next morning, they saw that Nicole had like made a Facebook status update that read, spending time with my three-year-old, need the break. And the family was sketched out again because Ariana was two, not three, and Nicole obviously knew the age of her daughter. And two, Nicole was big on grammar and spelling, and this Facebook post was written stupidly and like misspelled the word break. Um, and so they were like, okay, Nicole didn't write this, which is also how y'all will know if you ever see like a weird thing on Facebook or Instagram and something like your, yours fucked up. Like I did not write that. I was kidnapped and or murdered. Uh, so at this point they report Nicole and Ariana missing cause they're like, all right, these are two huge giant red flags and shit's not right. Uh, and then, of course, a couple days later, Nicole's body was found in McLaren Park. 
The investigation revealed that Nicole Fitz received a phone call on April 1st, 2016, the, you know, the day she was last seen at approximately 9 p.m. And the call lured Nicole out of her residence to, quote, go meet the babysitter. And then she was never seen alive again. Obviously, the cops think that CeeLo, Helena, and Devin did this, but the three of them have refused to cooperate with the investigation. Um, and they've like continuously provided the police with inconsistent statements. And then they moved to Las Vegas. And so it's like absolutely insane to me because obviously these people are involved, but the police can't do anything about it. And I don't really understand that. If someone can explain that to me, I understand like due process and like evidence and stuff. But how is the fact that they were the last known people with a child, like the last known people to have be in the care of a child and the child goes just disappears and the mother is found dead. Like, how is that not enough to like, I don't know, do something. Um, I read an article and it says like the police in Las Vegas do like track them and make sure that like, they're not up to anything sketch and like they have been on the lookout for Ariana, but like no news yet. Um, the family, Nicole's family, is really hopeful that Ariana is still alive and is being well cared for. And she'd be there eight or nine, um, which is sad. Like, that's a full human. That's a real that's a real person, which obviously, like, I understand babies are too. But, like, it's weird when they grow up and they have their own personalities and are, like, I don't know, basically an adult at age nine. That's how I see it. Um, so, yeah, that's the story of Nicole and Ariana. So if anyone, anyone has seen Ariana, give a shout. Her uh, family would love to know that she's alive. Um, and then I've got one more little murder for you. Um, and this one took place in 2015. Early hours of May 31st. Oh, so like next week, we're at the seven-year anniversary of the murder of Jonathan Caballero. We'll call him Jonathan. Um, Jonathan was found bleeding in McLaren Park. Um, raid, aid was rendered, but he died on site. Uh, Jonathan was an 18-year-old student at Balboa High School, which if you remember, like, abuts um, McLaren Park. So Jonathan was found bleeding, and he had actually been shot right there in the park next to his fucking high school, uh, which is pretty bleak. Um, after a two-month investigation, a 42-year-old woman named Sylvia Lorena Montoya was arrested for the murder. Um, and in the investigation, it was suggested and kind of like implied that they had been dating and living together. And so this was like a scorned lover situation. So Sylvia was arrested and held on $10 million, on a $10 million bond, and then ended up pleading not guilty. And then Here's the super annoying thing. There's no more fucking information about it. Like this happened in 2015 and there's no follow-up about if she found a plea deal, if she was sentenced, found guilty, sentenced, found not guilty, no information about how the trial went, if she even was on trial. Um, I looked her up on inmate search and couldn't find anything. Maybe if anyone wants to uh, look up Sylvia Lorena Montoya on an inmate search, let me know. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, if she's not on there, does it mean she never went to jail? Like, was there not enough evidence that charges were dropped? Like, insane. I don't know how you don't, how is there not more follow-up on that? And then I guess, I guess I know the answer. And freaking, I don't know, the socioeconomics of it all. Um, but maybe that's just a little too woke. I don't know. I don't know. But RIP Jonathan, who would have been, how old was, what's the math on that? 15 plus seven mm, would have been 22. Um, yeah. So fuck Sylvia for murdering him. Okay. Those are like the three murders I could find information on. And I'm like bummed that there weren't more. It's like, again, that's just super silly. It's fucking fake ass dumping ground with only three murders. Um, but I guess three actually is kind of a lot for a single park. Um, yeah, that wraps up today's episode. It was a little scatterbrained. Um, got to get back into the swing of it, figure out, you know, my strategy for next time, for next episode, try and make these a little, a little more frequent, a little less fucking unhinged. Um, yeah, I don't know. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I appreciate it. Um, I love you and I'll see you next week.